All right. Well, we're, uh, I think, week three into this series of I Am a Child of God. Uh, the, the ideas have, have emanated from Tom Rainer's book, uh, I Am a Christian, and we just were so struck by that, and so we've taken that, and then we've gone in other directions as well. But I started two weeks ago by asking this, who are you? Do you know? Do you know? I mean, what I'm really looking at is, what is your identity? A lot of the things we spend all of our time on, we, we don't want that to be our identity, do we? Let's, let's make sure, because our identity is the lens through which we look at and live all of life. So if you said yes to Jesus, if you have humbled yourself before the cross, and that means received what Jesus has done on your behalf, you have entered a life-changing love relationship with Jesus. And as, as, a, as Joel spoke last week, you are a team member, like it or not. You are part of the family. You, you, you have that identity so you can stand and say with, with boldness to not be ashamed. You can boldly proclaim, I am a child of God. That's the identity if you're in Christ. What does it mean? I don't ever want to take it for granted. This means when you're in Christ that you have admitted that you're a sinner. You have confessed all of your sins. You have genuinely repented. I'm sorry for all my sins. And you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Not your own goodness, but his work on your behalf. You believe that his death on the cross was on behalf of your sins. He took the punishment you deserve. You have chosen now to center your life on Jesus. He is your Savior and the Lord of your life. Is that clear? That's the gospel in 10 seconds or less. It goes along with this truth in 2 Timothy 5.17 from the New King James. Therefore, in light of what's come before. Now, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Does that sound like an identity point to you? Old things are gone, everything is new. We are in Christ. So, our word today is disciple, um, but I want you to know again that the code for that is just simply being an active follower of Jesus. That's what it means, an active follower. So, we started the first week, we talked about believing, and then I, I listed the word disciple, and then I listed the word follower, and then finally I listed the word influencer, because they're all tied up together. Do you see that? If you are truly following Jesus, if you're a disciple of his, you have great influence no matter where you are. Do you realize you have influence today? No matter who you are and where you are, you have influence, because you have a new and powerful identity through Christ and in Christ. Could somebody say in Christ? So you can say again, I am a child of God. Your life purpose is to follow Jesus all the way to heaven and to take as many people with you as possible and to influence them along the journey towards Christ and in Christ. I remember my first youth pastor and I went to Springdale, Ohio. Some of my former teens are online, I'm sure today, that are now grown. I hate to tell you how old my former teens are. Let's just say they're approaching 60 if not over but I wouldn't say that. But uh, in my first, I, I was so blessed to go to a life-giving church in Cincinnati, Springdale, Ohio, great church with J.K. Warwick, who was a wonderful pastor. And uh, I remember, I, I, that, was a, that was a great youth group to start. I had nothing to do with it, really. I mean, there were just all kinds of quality kids from quality families, and, and that core just drew all kinds of other kids, a huge number. And though I had studied at youth ministry and for the pastor and all that, I didn't have a clue of what I was really doing. So you know what I defaulted to? Just getting to know the kids, hugging them, showing up at events. How many of you know that still works? It still works. 
But I was having trouble getting traction, really feeling like we were getting momentum. And I came across a musical, and, and I had some music in my jeans back then, and I had youth choirs at every church I served at before here. And uh, we got a hold of a musical called Follow Me, and it was all about, it had Bible studies along with it that we used, and it was all about not just saying I'm a disciple, but I am a follower of Jesus and what that meant. The hilarious thing was, so we took that musical and we did it in our local church and we took it on the road and went to different churches and sang. And, and you know, Dixie, I robbed the cradle, so she's three and a half years younger than me. You knew that, right? She still looks much younger than me. And the good thing was, she was, what, 20 or 21 by then, I think, and, uh, and, and she looked very, very young. So it was really great because, you know, with teens, you never want them's going to get sick or lose their voice. So if somebody bowed out the last second, I'd just have Dixie sing. And for the longest time, the whole church thought she was a member of our youth group. <laughs> she thought, they thought I was her youth pastor. But she has one of the best voices in the family for sure. And so I just used her to bolster our, our soprano section as well. But I'll, I'll never forget that. So being a disciple or following Jesus, it moves us to action. It's more than a profession because I suppose most people within the sound of my voice would, would make a profession of faith and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Christian, but, but it moves beyond that to a possession. You see the difference? It's not necessarily the same thing. Becoming a disciple is life-changing. It's a decision followed by a never-ending journey until you live, draw your first breath in heaven. It's a response to a command of Jesus before he ascended to heaven. So we all know that if Jesus said these are some of his last words on earth, these words must be really important that I'm fixing to read. Would you agree? Because you know what you do as a parent of grand. I mean, you impress on them the most important thing that you've already told them five times before they walk out the door. You want to tell them again. So here are the final words of Jesus on earth before he ascended to heaven to the Father in Matthew 28, 18, and let me read them with emphasis. Jesus came to them. This is after he had come out of the grave, obviously. They probably still haven't got over the shock of seeing him alive because they knew he was dead. And he told his disciples, he spoke to them personally. He said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And by the way, he's saying basically, I'm under the Father's authority and you're under my authority, so I'm gonna give you this command. Verse 19, therefore, because of the authority the Father has given me, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't we love baptismal services around here that we have every few months? Verse 20, we're being obedient to scripture. Verse 20, here's another part of following discipleship. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he probably said, I'm not just with you because I am going to be in you because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And it'll be his power and strength that enables you to do these things that I've commanded you to do. So I ask you today, I I don't want you to answer out loud, but wherever you may be watching from home today, are you a true follower of Jesus? That means I'm not asking you if you followed him. I'm asking you if you are following him. That's present active sin. I am now in the process of following Jesus. How many of you know that's a never-ending journey from here to heaven? So many times we... I know so many marriages that are in trouble that used to have a good relationship, but it's not up to date. It's not, they're not communicating now. It's not about what it was. How do you know relationships only matter right now? 
right now. So I'm asking you, are you following? That's why we're doing the things we do around here. We're chipping away to make a difference. Uh, Andrew and and his crew, Sheldon probably are gonna be uh, teaching uh, my start today at second service. What time does that start? Right at 11, and some of you need to go directly from here to there. Maybe you have issues of faith, you don't know, you're not sure, you doubt, you're a new Christian, whatever, or better still, take somebody with you. That's gonna meet where? Fellowship Hall A. So I, I can't strongly recommend that. That is the basic building blocks of faith, but it's a place to ask questions, to interact, and we just packed as many practical things into that as well. And then the last two Sundays, I, had, I, do a mini, I did a mini interview with Andrew about the new Alpha course. That's grown each week, and this is the last week to get in this term, right? This is the third of, of 10 weeks, I believe it is. And we're looking like 45 to 50 this coming week. Isn't that great? And, and, and what, we're trying to introduce a tool for us so that we can introduce, we can use the influence to go and teach people to, to become disciples but then walk with them. That's what this course is all about. This is gonna be around for a long time. We're gonna repeat it, repeat it. It's really designed for people that don't have any faith. They may be atheists, they may be agnostic. We don't tell them what to believe but each week builds on itself. And so it's a powerful tool that we've been missing. So I, I want you, you can even Google it, look it up if you wanna know more about it but, but that's coming up. So if you still wanna get in, you can barely get under the wire this coming Tuesday night at what time? 6.30 p.m. They might even feed you. All right, we'll count on that. Um, So if your identity is I am a child of God, you must say I'm a team member. You must say I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. It's a relationship. It's been interesting, I think recently, if I've heard correctly, just on, Ty always sends me great songs that that, that he hears and I love them, but a couple of iterations of the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Anybody remember that? I think I learned that as a kid. Anybody ever remember that? But I think there's been a couple new versions of that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. How do you know that's still relevant? It's still real. Until you draw all that first breath in heaven that I've been saying, you're committed to growing and getting better and using your influence to point people to him As fully devoted followers of Jesus, you're never done. Settle it, settle it, you're on a journey. A decision leads to a lifelong process. Agreed? The Christian life is a journey. It's not a one-time experience. Yes, I've been to the cross to receive Jesus, so to speak. We, We explained that thoroughly this morning. But it's a journey from now until I get to heaven. All right. So let's talk about some practical steps. And I've kind of woven our vision frame into this today. This is how it is as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Your constant goal in this life is to become more and more like Jesus. How many of you know that the more you become like Jesus, you live like, you act like, have the attitude of Jesus, how many of you know that that's gonna have a much greater influence to those around you, starting with your own family? Would you agree? The closer you get to Jesus, the more influence you're gonna have. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, and I think we need to, it's not boastfully or proud, but follow me. If you follow me, I'm following Jesus. Right, because I've decided to follow Jesus. We sang also, no turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. So, in following Jesus, are we aiming what high or what? Well, yes, because what did he do? He lived the perfect life, didn't he, without sin. But if we aim at him, I'm gonna tell you, if we aim high, we're gonna do way better than if we aim too low. Would you agree? So let's talk about that. Goes with our vision frame, and I want to break it down into loving God, loving people, and living transformed. And then I want to give an addendum on to the end about living in forgiveness. But let's talk about loving God. First Corinthians 13 13. You doing okay out there today? All right, how about in the grandstand? Wave at me if you're doing all right. 
1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and and the greatest of these is, is that still true? I wanna be reading a Bible that's relevant and real to our times, don't you? God's word is that. I remember one of the first Sunday school songs I learned was something like, praise him, praise him, all you little children, God is love, God is love. Thank him, but whatever the words you put in the first part, it always came into God is love. That's not what he does, that's who he is. Do you understand it? It's not just what he does, what he does flows from who he is. God is a God of love. And that's the God we wanna introduce you to in, in, my, in, in my start, or Alpha, we wanna introduce people to a God who is loving and compassionate and merciful to all. First John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Is that clear? Romans, I maybe should have read, read this one first, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us, the God who is love, by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. When we were unlovable, when we didn't love him back, that's exactly when he sent his son to die for us. And I... Us is good, but me is better, isn't it? We need to personalize it. That's exactly when he loved me, when I didn't care, when I was doing my own thing, and I knew better, his love was still pursuing me. That's the incredible thing. As followers of Jesus, have you heard this before? You live to bring glory to his name, John 12, 28. If I've said that once, I'll say that hundreds of times because that's what the focus is of a I am a child of God life. Loving him as it says in Matthew 22 and other places in verse 36, I didn't put that up on the screen, but you love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Increasingly, you learn to live and love like Jesus loved and lived. I wanna tell you what a way, what an exciting way to live. And here's the bridge that crosses over from God is love, loving God to loving people. In Philippians 2, two to five, <clears throat> then make me truly happy <clears throat> by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. <clears throat> Loving one another. It doesn't say agreeing with one another, does it? Yeah, I can probably use that. I'm feeling a little dry here. Thank you, Joel. Good anticipation. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, where was I? Uh, agreeing wholeheartedly, love each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. How do you believe we can make a big difference when we obey the content of this verse, this scripture, this passage, working together with one mind and purpose. We, we're, we're aligned in the things that really matter. Don't be selfish, verse three says. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had what was his attitude? He took the attitude of a servant of all. But it all begins, to our main point here, it begins with loving God. As the scripture said, God loved you first and wants you to love him back. Is that too much to ask? This becomes your life purpose that leads to great significance and joy. If you've not sold out to a love relationship with Jesus, you're missing out on life to the full. No matter what your circumstance is, that's the starting point, that's the foundation you build on. So how in the world can we love God and not love people that are the apple of his eye? 
How can we judge others? How can we raise our nose? How can we look down our nose? Whatever to anybody else. Because God created every single life. Do you remember that? If you're looking at somebody that you may disagree with or whatever, do, do you look at them and say, God, help me to see them as you see them? Not just how they are, but what you've created them to be. So Philippians 2.13, for God is working, there's a word, in you right now as a follower, a disciple of Jesus. That means he's working in you with your permission, with your agreement. He's working in you, oh, I love this, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Aren't you glad we're not selling health, self-help booklets here? It's not about what we can do. It's about what God wants to do in us and through us. I love that. He'll give, it's okay to pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing. He, he said, I'm gonna give you the desire and the power to do what pleases you. That's because you have the Holy Spirit as a power source who is living in you, in you. The desire and power, the desire and power to, to love God and to love people comes from God himself. He enables you to love others more and to put them before yourself. That's a way to live. He gives you the desire and power to do it with joy. More like Tigger and less like Eeyore. Luke 5, 30. And I looked this up and there's various translations, but it says the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And I looked at other translations, it says publicans and Pharisees. Uh, some of you think it says Republicans and Pharisees, but it says publicans and Pharisees. But the bottom line, it says Sinners. Sinners, Jesus, why in the world are you hanging out with people that are known sinners? Well, you don't wanna identify with the Pharisees. They might, in fact, have created the first cancel culture before it was, uh, the phrase was termed. But identify with Jesus because he loved everyone, no exceptions. And he was not afraid to be seen with the undesirables. And you and I, we must do the same. You must do the same. Jesus told us why in Luke 5, 31, in response to what the religious right were saying. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Is that good news or what? I'm gonna tell you, no matter what your theology is, you never get beyond in your maturity the more you mature, the quicker you're willing to repent if the Holy Spirit prompts you about something that's out of kilter in your life. Agree? We don't get beyond it. We don't have a doctor who said, we never, we don't, we get to this holy place where we never need to repent because we pray, God, search my heart. I know what I think, but I want you to show me what you see and lead me in the paths of righteousness. People who are lost, who have not met and do not know Jesus, are the ones you need to make a relational connection with. Because this is true, it still is. What I told teenagers starting out in the 70s or 80s, whenever that was, late 70s, everyone is only one friend away from loving, knowing and loving Jesus. But I've come back and I've, I've, I've altered that a little bit because I've just put this word in. Everyone is only one relationship away from knowing and loving Jesus. Now, I want, you, I want to be clear about this. When Jesus was doing what he did and giving us the commands that he gave and, and, and his example, that didn't mean that he was with best friends with everybody. But the, the point of it is that you enter a relationship with somebody when you just reach out to them and have conversation with them, interact with them. You understand? 
We, we can all form bonds of relationship. Don't think you can only share Jesus with your best friend. Sometimes those, those people are the least uh, likely to respond to you possibly. But when you make the overture, when the Holy Spirit prompts you and you get connected with somebody, you form some sort of relationship and some sort of a relationship is a basis for helping them get to know Jesus and to love him. Would you agree? And, and we, we all know how to do that. We, we all do that. We all have relationships of various forms. He's saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Never forget where you came from. Never forget how you, you fell in love with Jesus. As it says in Acts 4.20, may this be our testimony as well. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen or heard. You know, Obviously, they couldn't get over the resurrection. Well, we have resurrection life because of Christ in Christ because we've been to the cross and received Jesus. How can we get over resurrection life? We can't, right? We've gotta tell people. We've gotta let our testimony be heard about how he brought us from death to life. Some of you know you, you had a drift, drifting part of your life and you like to leave that out. That's the very thing people need to hear. They need to know that you're not perfect. They need to know that God's love pursued you even when you for a time chose to walk away from him, that his love drew you back, that he never loved you last. The most loving thing you can do for God and for people he loves is to tell them about Jesus. I always think about that and you know, sports and all the things and the bumper stickers around and my child does this and is an honor student there and that's fine and good, those are all good things. But oh, I've yet to say when my child is a child of God. I don't see those very often. I can't think of a better goal, a better heart's desire for our kids and grands that they would know and they would fall in love with Jesus. The one who in love gave us John 3, 16 and 17, for God loved the world so much, that's everyone, that's you and I, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have an everlasting life. God sent his, world, his son into the world not to judge or condemn the world but to save the world through him. That message still rings true. I pulled up this morning on my workout uh, list of songs. I have it titled, that song, I can't stop singing about your love. I can't stop talking about your love. I can't stop letting it be known what I have seen and heard about this loving God who is so amazing. Well, that's the key. We fall in love with God. We see him not for who people say he is, but for who he is and how he makes himself known to us through his word. And we fall in love with him, and because we love him so much and we're on his team, we wear his jersey, his name is on the front of our jersey, so to speak, we're a member of his team. Because of that, then we can't help but fall in love with the people that he loved and died for. The people that have not yet received him, that haven't met him, we can do no less than love them with God's power and with the desire that the Holy Spirit puts within us. And that's gonna lead us into this living, transformed life Following Jesus means living transformed. I'll say it again, you're never done. I don't care how many years you've been walking with Jesus, you're not done. You're still moving forward. That, I, I, we call living transformed, the tipping and the turning point, the vital and life-giving part of, is a way of life. Of, and I wanna tell you the, the way that you would expect me to say that the real key for that is this. Getting God's word in you. Have I addressed that before?
in the shape of faith to come, Rob Brad Wagoner wrote, followers who read the Bible daily are much more likely to keep growing, more likely to obey God, more likely to share their faith, more likely to serve others, and more likely to go deeper in matters of faith. Did you know that? Why would it not be? I mean, isn't it transforming to hear from God through his word? To learn his plans for your life? To, 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 to learn, to, to, to see the unfolding of, of a hope and a future that he has for you? Another pastor in Arizona said if he could get his church members, attenders to do one thing, it would be this, to read their Bible every single day. Years earlier, he said they had come, uh, they had done an all-church campaign to get people to commit to reading their Bible every single day for six months, and he didn't go into detail, but he said as a result, in many ways, in many lives, was that were absolutely stunning, stunning transformations just because people dove into the Word of God every day for six months. We never get beyond that. In fact, I want to I may make a bold statement. I've thought about this. You'll have to chew on this, but I would say this. It's impossible to become more like Jesus without getting the word in you on a regular and consistent basis. But I got we all own Bibles galore and we have them. We have the apps on our phone, but but sometimes those are the most those are even more unused than the exercise machines we have in our basement that we hang clothes on. We have them but getting it in you, that's the key. Regularly, consistently, get it in you. By all means, read it, listen to it, study it alone with others, apply the truth to your life. What a wonderful way, this is a wonderful way that I know of to get a spiritual exercise and to keep spiritually fit. Get God's word in you. Learn more about Jesus in that way. Don't you love it when it says, and I, and I delved into this a few weeks ago, it says the, the word of God is living and active. It, it, it shows the real desires and motives of the heart. I don't know about you, but I want that. I need that. Do you need that? I need the Holy Spirit to bring correction and direction to my life, inspection as well, and wonderful words like that. But in this living transform, just let me conclude with this, this portion that, that uh, I'm gonna call it, it leads us to a place as a follower of Forgiving living. I think so many times we look at forgiveness as a point in time, well, I chose to forgive, live in forgiveness, or I chose to forgive somebody who did that some time ago. But here's the problem. A lot of us are enduring things and we're, we're having an attitudes of less than forgiveness. But it's not about something that happened way, way in the past. It, it maybe did, but it's still happening. And that is one of the litmus tests of being a disciple of Jesus. By his grace and power, giving you the desire, the strength that you don't have to live in forgiveness regardless of what people have done or are doing or will do. Wow. Powerful. But God did that, didn't he? Did he do that for you? In fact, I think God showed us this example, and I would say that's a practical, I'm, I'm trying to get practical out of, out, of, out of this message of being a follower, disciple. Um, I would say that forgiving living is the most loving thing you can do for another one, person. Would you agree with that? Isn't that the most loving thing that God ever did? He loved us so much that he sent his son to provide forgiveness and grace. God did it. As his followers who represent him, he wants us to do the same. So Jesus set that forgiveness bar so high by his sacrificial death on the cross, dying for your sins and mine. He did it for the sake of love. He did it so God would forgive you. You don't deserve it. You could never earn it, but he did it anyway. Because he did this, this admonition is now given in Ephesians 4. And I'll, I'll read just 32. 
instead of being bitter and anger and all those words that, 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 that before it, it says, instead of those things, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Has he forgiven you? How can you do less than forgive others? Is your situation isolated? I mean, have you been more offended than God was? I mean, have you? No. God set the ultimate example. You choose to embrace this truth because you chose to become a child of God. Jesus clearly spoke on this issue in in, in Matthew 18 when Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, that's, that's hard, but it's doable. And Jesus said, no, not seven times. He replied, 70 times seven. That means what? That's forgiveness living. That's what that means. You got it? 70 times seven means you live in forgiveness. And that's why some of you are so stuck and struggling because you did it, but you're not doing it. You're not living in, you're not living forgiving, if you will. That, that's, and if, if, if you're not living there, you're in bondage whether you know it or not. I uh, pulled out an illustration. I, I, I had this in my notes uh, in the last series or two, but I, I, don't, I just alluded to it. And forgive me if I did it here, but I think maybe I did it second service, but it was too good because I, you remember it was a story of, of Corey Ten Boom, and I'm just skimming again, but she's the one who lost her family in the, at, at, uh, at the Nazi concentration camp for hiding Jews. And uh, it tragic, I mean, she lost many. And so she, after the war, after she's, she was a sole survivor of her family, as far as we know, she was, went back to Germany to speak, and after she spoke, a man came out up to him and said, um, well, before he said anything, she immediately recognized him as one of the most cruel guards that had inflicted pain and punishment, suffering on her and her poor little weak sister. She said she, she recognized him immediately. And he came up to her after she preached about the God's love and the gospel. Reached out, he reached out his hand and said, a fine, fine message, Fräulein. After thanking for a message, he said, made it personal. He said, I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? Wow. She said, she writes, it's like time stood still. It was a moment of truth. She later recalled, I stood there. I whose sins had been again and again forgiven could not forgive that man who had inflicted so much pain on those I loved. She said, forgiving that prison guard was the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But she knew feeling what forgiveness wasn't a function of feeling, it was an act of the will. So she finally, after a struggle of seconds that seemed like slow motion, she finally reached out her hand and took his. And when she did, something miraculous happened. And I want to read the words. Listen. She said, When I settled that in my heart, a current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bring tears to my eyes. She said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And then she writes, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit in you. That's a true story. And if Corey could do it, you can do it. She was a living, forgiving person. Wow, what a difference that made in her life. I'm still talking about living, forgiving. When the disciples of Jesus asked how they should pray, 
he taught them what we know as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus knew from living this life, walking with us, that forgiveness would be a difficult issue for his followers, his disciples, dealing with their humanity, but he expanded this instruction in Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Is that pretty clear? He's not giving us an impossible task because it's the Holy Spirit as, as children as followers, as disciples on the team, he said, I'm giving you the desire and the power to, be, to live in forgiveness. I love that. It's impossible to do it on your own, but the good news is God is constantly working in you to accomplish his purposes through you. You never know what your act of living forgiving you never know the chain reaction that that can unleash in relationships and families in ways you could never think or imagine. And by the way, it's most often difficult to forgive people who should know better, especially devoted followers of Jesus. Would you agree? Don't grow bitter, don't harden your heart, forgive. I, I can guarantee you this on the authority of God's word, you will never regret living, forgiving, and you will be glad eternally that you did. Well, Jesus never intended his followers to misrepresent him by living in hypocrisy. Um, the church isn't the only place that houses hypocrites, by the way. You know, people that say one thing and do another. No. And Jesus speaks of that, he said in, in verse 28 of Matthew 23, he said, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I wanna connect that back to say the answer is living forgiving. That's supernatural, that gets people's attention. They know they don't deserve to be forgiven, they may not even wanna be forgiven, but you live in forgiveness anyway because you love God and you love people and you're living transformed. Determine in your heart by God's grace to never misrepresent him by your lack of love and forgiveness. I wanna say again, forgiving others is one of the most loving things you can do for them. Does that make sense to you? I end with this. Dixie and I are so blessed to have three wonderful, not perfect, but wonderful now grown children, some of whom may be in the service today. And we are so proud of the adults that they have become. As imperfect parents, we try to do our best to represent Jesus to them all the time, especially at home. And we also tried our best to own it when we didn't. You follow what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I didn't respond like Jesus, I'm sorry. When's the last time you apologized to your kids or grands? I, I have to do that. I'm sure they never followed us around and took notes on our attitudes and behaviors, but they did watch and learn from us, I believe, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I hope by this you're putting yourself in this because it's no different in your home, in your family. I like to say that we informally, informally and organically mentored them. We tried to teach them this, follow us as we do our best to follow Jesus. And I would have to say at this point in my life that I think they caught far more than they were actually taught. 
being a follower of Jesus is not about following a list of rules. It's about staying close to Jesus so you can learn how to love and to live like him. And I'm gonna tell you, it is possible through his presence and power in your life. Is anybody glad about that? Now, you might have to wrestle this and struggle with it, but I guarantee you, until you get this settled, it's gonna become a sticking point. If you're really stuck and you say, I'm not, I can't move in forgiveness, then, then do what this pastor said. Just go for the next week. I'm gonna get God's word in me, in me, in me, in me, in me. Just do a word search and, and go to passages where it talks about forgiving others and, and God's spirit will begin to work in and through you. So follow Jesus. That's what a disciple does. Influence others to follow him and help them along the way. Help them along their way. Amen. I just can't, I can't overestimate today the power of the influence of our life if we say we're followers of Jesus. We have incredible influence. With that, it's a privilege, but with that comes great responsibility. Are you following Jesus? What kind of influence are you? Hey, they're watching. Your kids are watching. Your grands are watching. Would you stand if you can, please? The team's coming. We're going to close. Man, I never want to take it for granted. I, the preface for this message is that you come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. You, you accepted what he did. He, you, you, was, you accept the forgiveness of sins that he's provided for you. You, you. you confess, you repent, you turn from, you say, I want to follow you the rest of my life, all the days of my life. That's the place to begin. And man, if you haven't done that, it's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Just say, Jesus, yes, I believe. I, I receive all you've done on my behalf. I'm sorry for doing it my way. But I think practically this idea of loving God, loving people, living transformed, some of you are stuck here on this living forgiving. And right now as we close, as I pray and then we sing, we, maybe God wants to do some business with you right now. I mean, there's a name. There's something that pops up right now. And, and you've been wrong. It's not right. It's, it's not right. I mean, you can be eternally separated from God and be right, you know, about somebody's wrong. You follow what I'm saying? You can be right, but that's not going to transform your life. So if the Holy Spirit prompts you, I just love to have services where when God's Spirit, we don't fight it. We just say, okay, he, he must want to talk to me. I want to listen. I just spend some time praying right now. I want to be a living testimony for you. I want to walk in forgiveness and love. So, Father, thank you for your help. Thank you for this series that's so basic to life, but it's where we live. We don't want follower to be a past tense. We want to be present active. We are following you in the process of following you. We want to represent you well, and that's not because we do everything perfectly, but perfectly, but we want to do it in a way that honors you. So I pray that your spirit would be in us through the power of your word and the power of your presence, the power of the Holy Spirit would give us the desire and the power to make some choices to do things that we need to do, not on this pastor's word, but what the word of God speaks. May it be a fire arrow into our heart that calls for action. We don't want to just be professors of truth. We want to be possessors of the truth of God's word. We want to love you and love others. And we want to live transformed in such a way that we use our influence to turn heads and hearts toward you and lives. Thank you for your stubborn love that pursues us. 
May we never be ashamed to proclaim what you've done, what you're doing. May we never be ashamed to tell our testimony. May we reach out and establish relationships with people just to the, on, a, on a casual basis to have the opportunity, the credibility to share the love of Jesus with them. And I know that we're not on our own when we do it. I know, and I thank you in advance for, your, for the desire and the power you give us to do what is often difficult for us to do. So we've decided to follow you. No turning back. No turning back. I pray in Jesus' name. Would you sing just a little bit, Sarah? If, if you want to use the altars or the stairs, you can sure do that. You can make your heart, your home, wherever an altar. But man, let's, let's take care of it right now. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? Show us what you see.